What are you like at waiting? I'm so bad at it. I'm really impatient and I hate it when anyone is late for anything. When Luke and I got engaged, which was quite a long time ago now, I reckon I could have planned the whole wedding in about four months or less. But at the time, my brother was traveling and he was on the other side of the world. And so we decided to wait until he was back before we got married. But it meant um, waiting an extra five months for our wedding. I just wanted to get married and move into our first home and start our new life together. When we had our first child, he was due on the 23rd of December. So we obviously kept our Christmas plans totally free, but he didn't come on the 23rd or the 24th. Christmas Day came and went, Boxing Day too, still no sign of him. So we waited and waited and finally Morgan arrived into the world on the 31st of December. 12 days late, 12 days of waiting after nine months of waiting. And, you know, waiting while heavily pregnant and you can't really go anywhere because you might go into labour was really frustrating. We decided to move house when Morgan was one and I was pregnant again. And so there was more waiting. Lots of people viewed our house, but it took a while before we got an offer. And then we had to go house hunting and find our, our current house. And that took a while. Then we're waiting for paperwork, waiting for solicitors, for the mortgages and all of that kind of thing. It's the worst kind of waiting I find when you don't actually know when it's going to end. It's I feel like it's fine if you know this is going to be one week or four weeks or whatever it is. But that kind of like, I just, this could go on for weeks is so frustrating. Today we are looking at a kind of waiting that makes mine look a bit wimpish. We're moving through the letter that um, Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And if you remember last week, we, uh, we looked at the start of the letter where he wrote about his love for the people, his longing to be with them, his passion and affection for them, and his hope that they would grow deeper in love for Jesus and receive a love from Jesus so that they could love abundantly. And that was a message for us as a church today. So we're continuing um, by looking at Philippians. And um, in, in case you missed that one last week, I, I just shared a little bit about how I felt prompted to read this in when I was praying for G2. And I felt like God was saying that there was a message for us in this season through this book of the Bible. So this has come out of um, a prayer time um, that I've had with God um, and, and I feel like God is wanting to encourage us. Um, and so each week we're looking at a different aspect in the book of Philippians um, as, as an encouragement that, that God is sending a message to us of encouragement. So let's have a look at Philippians 1 and we're going to look at verse 18 to 26. So it says there, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly and expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. 
I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So what's happening here? Well, first of all, Paul has been in prison at this point for four years already. He was waiting to stand trial. He was accused of preaching the gospel of Christ, which obviously that is what he was doing. And he was waiting for a ruling. He had no clue about his future at this stage of writing this letter. He had no idea how long he would be waiting for. And ultimately, he had no idea whether he would live or die. Now, given my response to waiting 12 days for my baby to be born, I'm not sure I would have coped quite so well in this situation. Yet, instead of experiencing anxiety, frustration, impatience, all those things, he is filled with joy. Paul says, through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Let's just think about that for a second. Through the prayers of his friends in Philippi and through the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying what has happened to him will shape his deliverance. Paul knows that prayer changes things, that their prayers can make a difference because as they are praying, God responds by giving a fresh supply of the Spirit to Paul. Isn't that amazing that they are actively praying and God is actively responding and Paul is receiving more of the Spirit. He uses the word deliverance in this sentence. So what does that mean? Well, some scholars think that means he's getting out of jail, that the word deliverance means like, I will get out of jail because of your prayers, because of the Holy Spirit, I will get out of jail. But the problem with that theory is that it doesn't really fit with everything else he is saying. And so other scholars think that his deliverance means his salvation. It means his standing with God. Paul is talking about standing in front of God on judgment day and being okay. And he's saying it is their prayers and it is the spirit of God that are keeping him steady with God, keeping him right with God. I think that's amazing. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He was waiting to stand in front of Caesar, who would decide his fate. But Paul was ready to stand there with openness and boldness, not scared, totally free, free in everything that he is and does to make known the gospel and put the king on display. And then here's the crux of it. This is what he says. To me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, the original 
Greco-Roman for this is actually a little bit more interesting. Languages is not my strong point, but I'm going to have a go at saying it anyway. But I'm sorry if any of you actually really know Greco-Roman or even Greek and know how badly I'm saying this. But I believe the original Greek um, would be pronounced Hodza o Christos kai aposnes kerdos. Hodza Christos kai aposnes kerdos. Now, to the people he's writing to, to the people he's speaking to, the people who are reading this out loud, that is rhetorically very powerful. It's kind of poetic. Hodza o Christos kai aposnes kerdos. It's kind of poetic, it's like rhythmical, it's got alliteration, it's got repetition. My boys have been doing poetry at school recently and this would tick quite a few of the boxes that when you're writing a poem. It's also worth noting that there's no verbs in Greek. So really put simply, it, it would just translate as to live king, to die gain, or to live Christ, to die gain. Life is Christ, die is gain. And there's a scholar called Gerald F. Hawthorne who says this, life is filled up with, occupied with Christ in the sense of everything Paul does. He trusts, he loves, he hopes, obeys, preaches, follows and so on. All of that is inspired by Christ and done for Christ. Christ and Christ alone gives inspiration direction, meaning and purpose to existence. How many of us can honestly say that? That everything in all our lives is inspired by and done for Christ. And yet he says death would be a gain, not again a gain. Death would be gain. Death would be better, he says. Because if life is inspired by and done for Christ, death means being with Christ in heaven. Do we desire to be in God's presence in the same way? Could we say this? I think we've got a problem. And our problem is that we don't really need Jesus. I mean, we know that we do need Jesus, but in our day-to-day -day lives, we don't really need him. Most of us live very comfortable lives. We've got good jobs, good homes, good families. Even if you're a student, yeah, you might consider yourself to be poor and you haven't got your own home, but you're okay. You've got a pretty good life. We have so much to take for granted that we do take it for granted. And I'm not saying that in a judgmental way at all. I'm in the same boat. But if we found out tomorrow, somehow, that Jesus isn't real, that it's just all made up, how much of your life would actually change? How much would actually look different? Because we're too comfortable but Paul wasn't comfortable at all. Paul wasn't surrounded by nice things, electronic devices, cushions, sofas, gin and tonic. Paul gave up everything 
for Jesus. He was stuck in prison and he was ready to be with him. It's a bit like being in Narnia, but without Aslan. I just wonder, are we living the Christian life without Jesus? Paul says, if he gets out of jail alive, this will mean fruitful labour for him. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. So he knows that if he keeps living, it will be fruitful. It will be good. God will use him and he'll serve Jesus and he'll know Jesus more. And he's torn. And you can see this in this in this scripture because he wants to depart. He's ready to go. He's ready to go and be with Christ. He's ready to die. And he sees that as a gain. He sees that that would be brilliant. And how many of us can see that? How many of us are ready to die? He aches in his bones to die and be with Christ, which he says is better by far. But he says, it is more necessary for you if I remain in the body. It is better for the gospel if, if Paul stays. He knows that he can help the kingdom of God on earth to grow. How can Paul say that? How can he know that it, it would be better for them if he stays? And he uses this word, fruitful labour. Labour, hard work. I mean, life is hard work, isn't it? Parenting is hard work. University is hard work. Following Jesus is hard work. Doing your job every day is hard work. And walking in freedom can be hard work. We have to work at things. We were made to work at things. It's how we were created. But it isn't just labour. It isn't just work. It's fruitful labour. Now, growing fruit is hard work. And not that I've ever tried it, but we are currently trying to grow strawberries and tomatoes in our garden and they don't just magically appear overnight you have to dig you have to sow you have to plant you have to water you have to nurture it you have to wait you have to keep at it you have to keep going don't give up how do we keep persevering following Jesus trusting his voice how do we keep Jesus at the center of everything how do we get to a place where we can say that to live is Christ and die is gain. And so I think the answer is by coming back to the start of this passage. Paul talks about a fresh supply of the Spirit. Paul is only so strong and so resilient and joyful in prison because of a fresh supply of the Spirit, not by his own strength or works. Oh, if we just relied on ourselves we wouldn't survive 12 days in prison. And I think that's what God wants to encourage us in today and in this season. I think God wants to give us a fresh supply of the Spirit. I think he wants to pour out his Spirit on us in a whole new way. I think the Holy Spirit is on the move, like Aslan. And I think we will be a church that is led by the Spirit. I think everything we do will come 
out of our abundant love that comes from Jesus and from a fresh supply of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our gift and I think God wants to give it to us, but we need to accept it. We need to receive it and ultimately we need to want it. And so I'm not saying that this is going to happen right now. I don't want to sort of force some sort of fake spiritual encounter now where we all receive the Holy Spirit. I think this is bigger than today. I think what God is saying to us is more than just right now in the moment. But I think for too long we've been a church that stands on common sense and on doing things well. And we're really good at releasing leadership and we're really good at raising people up and we preach the Bible in a way that people understand and um, and we apply the Bible. Everything we do has application and we've got good kids work and good youth work and we have Bees and Sunday, which is so much fun and ignition. And But none of this is worth anything if it isn't coming from God. All of those things that we do can become our idols. And I think probably have become our idols a little bit. This is who we are. This is what we do. We're really good at it. But none of it is worth anything if it isn't breathed by the Spirit. And if if Jesus isn't at the centre of everything we do, if we can't say to live is Christ and to die is gain, then nothing is worth it. There's there's no point. There's no point carrying on. But what we need is a fresh supply of the Spirit. And that isn't something that we can just do on our own. That isn't something I can say to you, right, so go and get your fresh supply of the Spirit, you know, just turn the tap on and here it comes. We need God to bring to us a fresh supply of the Spirit And I think that is what he is encouraging us in. I think we will receive in this next season a fresh supply of the Spirit that will transform all of our lives. And so I don't know what else to say, really. My prayer for us, for all of us, is that we would all experience this fresh supply of the Spirit. I'm listening to God, I'm waiting on God and and will you join me in that? Would you join me in asking God to give you a fresh supply of the Spirit wherever you are? And yeah, we can do that right now but we need to keep pressing into that and keep standing on that promise that God's got for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you did and get Paul out of prison, that you that you did release him and he did continue and he did he did have fruitful labour that inspires all of us that he continued to spread the gospel. We probably wouldn't be here without without his work for you God. And and Jesus we ask we ask you to give us this fresh supply of the Spirit. In the same way that the people in Philippi were praying that for Paul, they were praying for him. You gave him a fresh supply of the Spirit. We we pray that for ourselves too, for our community, God. We pray 
for a fresh supply of the Spirit. We pray that you will fill us up, that you will renew us so that we can know you more and ultimately so that we can say to die is gain, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen.